Hello and welcome to episode 151 of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. I am Anthony Malakian and I'm joined as always by James Rundle. Hello. And so today we have on Adam Sussman, Head of Market Structure and Liquidity um, uh, Partnerships for LiquidNet. Adam, thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me. So last week there was the announcement about uh, the, the launching, the potential launching of something called the Members Exchange, uh, MEMEX, I guess would be the acronym or the way you say the acronym. The yeah. acronym um, <laughs> and James and I, so James, myself, and Wei Shen wrote an article about this on Monday, just where we talked to some people about some of the challenges that the exchange is going to face. And I would say, it's definitely for myself, I think I'm speaking for James here a little bit, um, we're a little bit more cynical about th- this announcement. So we also wanted to have a counterbalance for you to be able to listen to rather than us just, you know, giving our stupid ideas and what better person than to have somebody that's actually been in the industry for 15, 20 years now, I would say. Too long. The, for a while, for a while. Um, so yeah, so Adam, again, thanks for joining. Um, I guess, James, why don't you kick it off uh, with... Uh, Start? Yeah, we'll do. And then Tony, don't ever speak for me again. Yeah, um, just so you know. Yeah. <laughs> <That's>, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, obviously, I guess the biggest news of the year so far, um, quite a odd coalition, I guess, of people. So you've got retail brokers, you've got market makers, you've got banks, you've got sort of financial services firms, um, big names as well. This isn't just sort of small fry. I guess just to kind of like throw it in the deep end, like reading through this, the US already has 21 national security exchanges registered with the SEC. Um, now, I know that big chunks of those are owned by single firms, but I guess a question for you is, does the US need another equities venue? I mean, what's your kind of view on, on this? Yeah, I mean, I, from my standpoint, whether uh, the US equity market needs another exchange is uh, is irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Um it's a good start. I don't know if we needed one, you know, five years ago or 10 years ago. I, you could go back to the days of NASDAQ and NYSE, and I think clearly you could argue we needed competition when it was just, you know, those two. Yeah. Maybe some, some smaller regionals. Um, but I think that the, you know, the, the point of the members exchange and why, whether we need one or not, uh, is irrelevant is that... Um, the point of it, uh, my interpretation of the point in it, isn't to create, you know, a better mousetrap. It isn't to create cleaner, uh, you know, a cleaner exchange model like in the case of IEX. Mm-hmm. I think that the the name of it speaks for itself. It's there for the benefit of the members, those founding uh, brokers that you mentioned uh, at the beginning. Uh, and in when I say for their benefit, I mean that. You know, the, the uh, for-profit uh, incumbent exchanges, of which I would include, I would put SIBO in that category yeah. uh, now as well, um, you know, have been uh, taking, uh, you know, have been uh, consistently increasing the prices of the cost to connect to their exchanges. Uh, they've been increasing the cost of uh, the proprietary data feeds. Uh, that you know everybody that wants to achieve best execution is pretty much forced to uh, to pay for, uh, and and at the same time you know there have been complaints around the SIP and the cost of you know just the uh, the, the SIP data as well. So I think that the the members exchange you know is is here to present uh, to the to the public and to and to regulators. The idea that you can operate an exchange that can provide the same liquidity 
that exists today uh, from the incumbent exchanges at a far cheaper cost to the industry. So, I mean, I guess let me ask you this then. I mean, starting an exchange is a massive undertaking, right? Both in terms of cost, in terms of technology, in terms of just the sheer amount of paperwork, I guess, has to go into filing it. Um, I think a lot of the perception from people I speak to, at least, who aren't part of these uh, founding groups is that this is really um, an offshoot of what you just said. I mean, there's been a lot of argument about market date fees, a lot of arguments about the SIP, a lot about covered activity and everything else. Do you see this as a, you know, a genuine attempt to start something new, or do you see it as an attempt to kind of challenge the uh, the incumbents, the SIBOs, the NASDAQs, the NYSEs of the world, and of, well, of America at least, and try and force them back to the table to, to talk more about these issues, which have obviously been through the SEC, been through the courts and everything else? Yeah, I mean, look, it's a, it's a it's a classic strategy, right? Is to you know pump money into a potential competitor in order to force uh, you know your uh, you know this this utility or supplier uh, to lower their cost. So um, I would say, yeah, I think that 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 is part of um, of why they're doing this, and they they get to claim victory either way, right? So. Um, if through this type of pressure, uh, without even launching the exchange, they're able to extract concessions from the incumbents, then that's a win. And all it cost them was the uh, the press the, the press say, release, the right? Three hundred fifty dollars they ever spent. So, <laughs> so now I, I don't think that you know I don't think that the uh, the uh, the incumbents are going to fold that quickly. No. Um, so um, so I do think that they're committed to putting some resources uh, behind this in order to demonstrate uh, that they can uh, create a viable competitor, uh, you know, to the incumbents. I was just going to say, because we uh, in the article I, I spoke with a consultant who's been in the industry for a long time, but uh, a gentleman named uh, Bruce Fedor, and he was saying that he doesn't think that the likes of Nazi by uh, bats um, that they're kind of like shaking in the boots about this was his quote. And, but he says that this is kind of an opportunity to say, listen, the the fees and everything are kind of getting out of control and that this is a way for us to kind of this is this is the hand that we have to play in order for us to start to address this because there is a problem here and clearly you saw that with the sec hearings back in october i think it was um so do you think that is that how long would something like this if it is a legitimate play to create a new exchange that will try and compete with them. Is this something that will take, I heard one institutional investor told uh, one of our reporters that it'll take uh, about three years, they think, to get off the ground. Is that viable? Is that really logical for these kind of players to do it? Or is this more of a, we're going to play this unless we start to start to see some concessions on your end? Um. I don't think that uh, I think it'll happen faster than three years. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that every time we see a, a a new exchange launch, the time to market shortens, right? I mean, Bats's application went through very very quickly. Now, granted, they were already in ATS; they already had liquidity, you know, so uh, they weren't starting from scratch. But the exchange application for bats didn't take that long, right? Mm-hmm. Didn't take that long for Direct Edge. I can't remember, Direct Edge might have even uh, happened a little bit faster. IEX got bogged down because of you know the wire and people in all the protests around it, right? But just assume that for a minute that you know IEX didn't get into that, uh, um, didn't wasn't in that position. 
they would have also probably been, you know, approved and went from ATS to exchange, you know, faster than BATS or Direct Edge. So every time it's going faster. And if I'm right in that the um, the exchange, uh, the way that the matching logic works and the way that the uh, fee schedule works is all extremely simple, then I don't see why it would take three years to, to get up off the ground. Also, you know, the the cost to get it up and running and the amount of uh, third-party vendors that they could use as a matching engine mm-hmm. and as connectivity, I mean, all of that's just become so commoditized. I, you know, I don't see that. Uh, I, don't, I don't see three years being, um, uh, that sounds like a super long time frame for me. Because, well, that's one of the reasons why I am skeptical is because, as you mentioned it's if the SEC, like I said, they're not trying to build a new mousetrap the way IEX was with their coil and everything like that. So there's no people that they have associated with this yet that they've come out. Um, and you're, you wrote a blog post about this, and uh, you had said uh, that you think that the, the first letter, the first name of the CEO will be a J, maybe an R. <laughs> is, uh, you know, I mean, we, we were kicking around some ideas. Uh, maybe, uh, what was it, uh, Joe Ratterman is a name potentially? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, okay. You know, this we, is a litmus test, by the way. We also I, I'll some, tell you what the J and the R really are in a minute, but go ahead. Go ahead well, I also guessing. had a couple other reckless speculation. Okay. Uh, Bill O'Brien, uh, formerly uh, Direct Edge. Still needs a job. Yeah. Uh, Michael Friedman, formerly at Trillium. Um, you know, he, you know, so I, I have some I have my own ideas about who will be the faces. But with that all said, you know, spoke with a representative um, and uh, speaking with representatives of the exchange stuff, they don't have anybody right now that's in place. So that, to me, raises red flags, really. Or yeah. is that, you know, because when IEX started, they had their core. Here's our core. We're going to bring it forward. Here's our face. The fact that they went and they rushed, seemingly to me, kind of rushed us out to get it out at the start of the year. It almost felt like they had the meeting in October. Uh, the They didn't like what they were hearing back from the SEC in that public hearing. And they said, all right, what's the hand that we can play now? Let's send a shot across the bow here. And so is that concerning at all to from what you hear, from your thoughts on this and what you've seen in the market previously, the fact that there aren't names attached to this yet, is that kind of a – should that be a red flag or am I overstating that? Um, no, I think that's I think that's a, that's a totally fair point. Um, I think it, it, I, it, could compl- it could be possible that they threw this out there, uh, you know, kind of uh, floating a, a balloon. Uh, trial balloon uh, to see what the reaction uh, from the industry would be. Um, on the other hand, you know, getting the legal sign-off for all of these companies to be mentioned in a press release in and of itself must have been a complete a nightmare. Yeah. So I just don't see that they spent the time to like get you know Bamel, Morgan Stanley, Citadel's you know legal and compliance team to sign off on this press release just you know for a trial balloon. Um, you know, in terms of, uh, not having face, you know, specific faces behind it. Look, I think that the, the members are the faces of it. Um, and I'm not saying they could stick anyone in that seat, but, uh, I think it's secondary to the, you know, to the names of the people that will run it. That's opposite of IEX, right? IEX had, you know, they're built off the brand of, you know, Brad and Ronan and, you know, and the story that was told about them. This is completely different. This has nothing to do with 
the people you know that are yeah. going to build it out. It has all to do with the consortium behind it. So it's more the kind of the board rather than the figurehead, I guess, is kind of the, the power for it, right? So yeah, of... yeah, exactly. Um, so I think uh, just speak into the microphone, James. <laughs> Thanks, Terry. Um, so I think just picking up on something you said earlier. Um, you know, assuming this does go ahead and assuming they launch and get approval and everything else, I think there aren't any concerns about initial start in liquidity, right? I mean, even if these guys send 2 3% of their flow to this venue, that's a huge amount of liquidity already there built in. Um, I guess from a technology perspective, though, and you touched on this, saying there's a lot of off-the-shelf stuff available you can get from, or well, not off-the-shelf, but third-party vendor stuff. Um, right. How much of a challenge would it be technologi- technologically, do you think, um, to build and implement systems that will be able to compete on a best execution basis and everything else with um, with what's already out there? Look, I think any time you're starting from scratch, you you have an advantage. So, mm-hmm. I think the I think they can take advantage of you know a bunch of new technologies because they have zero liquidity, and so you know the cost of failure is much lower for them than it is you know for the uh, the incumbents. You know, downtime doesn't mean you know mean that much if you're not executing that many shares. So, I don't I don't see that as a I don't I don't see that the um, the technology effort for a startup. Yeah. is always going to be easier than the rebuild for uh, for a legacy platform. But that being said, though, if you are running a you know a national securities exchange registered with the SEC, you know Reg SCI is a thing, right? And sort of that's something you have to be cognizant of in terms of sort of uptime and everything else. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, there's yeah. in, there's there's increased scrutiny on the operations of of all the exchanges. They'll have to comply with that. They'll have to make sure that they're, um, you know, that they're they're in compliance. So the the regulatory and compliance components of the exchange are greater now than they were, you know, um, you know, ten years ago. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I think for these, um, you know, for the for the folks behind the members exchange, I, I just don't see that as being a barrier to entry. You know, because it, it, funny, because also, what you're saying is very true with I think with many of the people that we spoke with actually, and it kind of surprised us because we kind of went at this and when we first started, we're like. You know, there's no CTO. There's, there, at least IEX, they were trying to build something that was different, something new. Okay, that was interesting. That was we we love technology here. I mean, that's what we kind of write about, and we kind of think it gets overblown, but or we, we kind of think it gets uh, pushed aside or discounted unfairly. But it is what a lot of people did tell us is that they're not worried about the technology. But with that said, you had SIBO buying bats because to implement their platforms, basically, and take in their platforms. You guys, and we're, we'll talk a little, we have some questions for you about uh, LiquidNet and some of the acquisitions you guys made. Yeah. You guys have made some major investments into technology and technology platforms. So I guess my question is, you know, why is it that the technology end of this isn't a concern? Is it because you guys have built something very unique, very special? Bats, Nizi, I think, you know, SIBO, um, these guys, or SIBO uh, and Bats, um, and... Um, What's your, uh, NASDAQ obviously have invested no, you're a lot in my technology. Point. You're proving my point, yeah. right? So the fact of the matter is that they, from uh, without having any legacy platforms, can build a better system mm-hmm. than any of the incumbents precisely because you know they're in the same position that Island was in before NASDAQ bought it, that Arca was in before NYSE bought it. But before you know what bat the position bats was in before SIBO bought it, mm-hmm. so I feel like you're 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 in support no, of my point. statement. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess that that's it's the interesting thing is it, me. I, I feel like that there should be more tech heft to start, but I guess 
that these that there that there is already a blueprint that's in p- place. So of starting I guess an look, look, there's without. two sides of it, right? One side is hey, they could go get third party providers to build this for them, right? And maybe the tech, you know, maybe having you know competing on uh, the fastest matching engine isn't critical to the success of this platform. Maybe they don't have to be the fastest. They just have to be as fast. And you could probably go out and, and rent that for yeah. a reasonable price. Maybe they decide, no, they want to be the fastest. So they go get a smart team of folks that have done this before and those teams are around. And they lift them out and they're like, hey, wouldn't you like to do the same thing you've done three other times? But now you can do it for us. Yeah. Instead of having to support this old system and go through all these, you know, bureaucratic systems do what you vote you what you love to do build a new matching engine from this from scratch and they'll probably win those people over yeah so i think either way i just don't see it as a as a as a barrier that i don't mean to dismiss the importance of it i just don't think that uh the ability to build a you know um an, an exchange is as high as it was in the past um and it gets easier every time okay. and i guess it depends on, on kind of what segment they're aiming for right i mean one of their stated aims is to build an exchange that has fewer order types than some of the exchanges do to have to not have speed bumps and other sort of technological aspects to it and to also have a lower cost of uh i guess of data and everything else i mean that in turn may imply that it's not going to have all the bells and whistles that like an inet matching engine does or something like that which is catering for Right. Specifically, high speed loads, or for anything else. And just to even jump in, sorry, uh, in the in the podcast, you actually like the fact that they didn't use the bells and whistles of the buzzwords of the day: blockchain, crypto, AI, machine learning. You actually kind of noted that uh, specifically. Yeah, that's it. Um, so I, I guess just for for one of my last questions, um, this is a very sort of it's a very strong starting group, right? These are the big names um, in sort of retail and everything else. And moving forward, if it needs to be a success and you need to grow liquidity and you need to grow participation, do you see, the, you know, the, the Memex core group expanding itself um, or has to expand or, or can it sort of stay as it is and then people can sort of join and, and come in, um, you know, as, as they wish? Yeah, it, you know, it, it, it'll be interesting to see if other um, liquidity providers or investment banks or other types of institutions uh, come to the table. I don't think they need any other folks to come to the table mm-hmm. uh, in order to be successful. Obviously, when they go out and they um, actually launch their operations and they begin to sign up um, you know, additional um, brokers to connect to the exchange, that'll be important. But in terms of the ownership structure, I think that they have as strong a consortium as any of the other successful exchange launches, um, you know, over the last 15 years have had. Yeah. Maybe the best. So let's just, hypothetically, let's take this three-year, and so it doesn't mean that it's going to be sorry, but three years from now, so that's what, 2022? Um, my, my theory is that um, members exchange will not exist. Um, do you, uh, my, that's my prediction, your prediction, do you think it exists in three years from now? Yeah, I think there's another stock exchange that won't exist, <laughs> but is? I'm not giving names. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that over beers later on. Uh, um, James, you, do you want to gander a uh, prediction on this? I mean, look, uh, my, my view of this is they're very serious about this now. Um, I just think that market ownership of things like this has been tried before um, in various different ways. Maybe not this exact way, but after a while, guards change, executives change, and then people start thinking, well, as our core 
operation really so running I think the market. That, I think that's so. true. I think I've like if I look at other asset classes, mm-hmm. there's a ton of failed, you know, consortiums. There's not as many failed consortiums in equities. Yeah, true. They they tend to work. They like, do. Although they tend to privatize them and sell them off after a while, right? You know, after sort of like absolutely. But million. in three years, I mean, if they are able to launch and then sell themselves off in three years, you know, well, I, I you yeah. would be right, but for the wrong reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would be wrong for the right reason, but yeah. Sure. Hey, listen, as long as I'm right, that's all I care about. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. And uh, by the way, uh, just one last thing, because uh, we kind of hit on this a little bit, but. So you said that the first letter, first name of the CEO will be J, maybe R. Any reason why you gandered that prediction out into the public uh, with your blog post? Um, yeah. So uh, over uh, the, the weekend uh, prior to the members exchange launching, I was um, yeah, yeah uh, having some beers with some friends. And I forget why we got onto the, to the discussion, but we began to talk about um, what were the most common names, uh, you know, in, you know, among like, you know, first names, what were the most common first names? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we looked into that and, uh, a lot of them start with J, uh, and then the next tranche begins with R. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so J actually, um, accounts for 15% of, uh, the first names, um, data science, this basically, <laughs> no, it, was, it, was, it was Google, it was Google. <laughs> Um, so, um, so yeah, it was like 50 and then R accounts for, uh, for another 10%. So I have a one in four chance of being right, but what was really, and, and the reason I, I did it though, is cause we know like we can all come up with J's that we could imagine being, uh, named as the CEO. Yep. And so what was really funny and a completely unintentional, uh, consequence of including that line is all of the inbound, um, emails I got about. Oh, I think I know who you mean. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, I actually don't mean. I was drinking <laughs> beers with friends, <laughs> I was and friends. we Googled this, and yeah. uh, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, and you know, and I did. And I sent it to some of the folks that are um, on the, uh, you know, that are on the board, and it was uh, the responses were really, were really funny. But anyway, all right. And while we have you here, obviously. Um, Let's talk a little bit about LiquidNet. Um, we've written a lot about the acquisition uh, with OTAS Technologies. Um, you guys made a lot of progress in incorporating um, uh, their analytics platform. Can you talk a little bit about what that process has been like and maybe uh, what some of the advantages are and maybe what's still to come? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we've always believed that we could help our uh, help the, the buy-side traders on our platform um, you know, by providing them some actionable intelligence on what's happening in the market and the names that they care about, right? And so since we're reading in their order management systems and their execution management systems, we know the names that they're, that they're trading. Um, and OTAS does a, does a great job of distilling down all of, you know, all of what's happening uh, across the market into, you know, these alerts. So you know, it's kind of trading by exception, right? You don't have to necessarily pay attention to all of the stocks, um, at any given time, you can, um, you know, if there's an alert that occurs in a name that you're trading, uh, then we will tell you what it is, when it happened, and then you can kind of dig into the details. So, um, and I think that's uh, that's great when you're monitoring, uh, you know, uh, a list of names and working a list of names, um, you know, at that time. But one of the things that uh, we saw as a uh, as a as a gap in that after we integrated OTAS into the front end 
Well, as, you know, you've got an order uh, in an algo, and now the market conditions market conditions are changing. Now, if they're dramatic enough, you're going to want to cancel that order out and do something different with it, right? But using kind of the using some of the same market microstructure models uh, from OTAS that trigger the alerts, we could also just change the behavior of the algorithm. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're in the in the process of doing is taking, uh, you know, the, some of the models uh, that are within OTAS, right, basically looking for signals that would statistically, uh, you know, that statistically show uh, can improve different benchmark algorithms. So, you know, we started off with uh, POV, and now we're moving down the line into, into VWAP, you know, IS, so on and so forth. So, you know, that's where I think uh, we're able to continue to leverage uh, the analytics infrastructure from OTAS. It's, on the one hand, there's, there's plenty of times where you wouldn't want to automatically use data to change the behavior of what's happening with a customer's order. But there are other cases where it makes perfect sense to do that. Yeah. You know, if they've already chosen a benchmark, uh, and, you, and, you know, now, for example, you know, your POV is a good a good example uh, since we've already, you know, tested the model that can improve that. And basically it's the performance of the stock uh, relative uh, to uh, its peers, right? And so depending on whether you're buying or selling and whether the stock is outperforming or underperforming a basket of names that it is historically correlated with, the POV algorithm will speed up or slow down. Um and then because we've got that desktop real estate, you know, we can show you, hey, this is what the algorithm is doing, and this is why it is doing that. Yeah, sure. Um, and before I let you go then, Adam, uh, I did have one other question. So you were at TAB for about 10 years, I think it was. Yep. Uh, nine, 10 years. And then you went over to LiquidNet, and you've been there for four or five years now. Um, what was it, what's kind of been that change been like for you? I think some of maybe our listeners might be interested just knowing kind of coming from a consultancy world, then going into a technology venue provider uh, company. Um, what were kind of some of the, the cool things? What were some of the things that you had to kind of get used to as you went about that? Yeah, um, no, that's a great question. So, I mean, one of the full of them. <laughs> the primary the primary uh, reason why um, I joined LiquidNet is because I found a company that uh, I thought I could add more value to uh, than I could to you know the disparate number of uh, clients that I was servicing when I was at Tab, mm -hmm. right? And um, you know, LiquidNet was one of Tab's uh, you know first customers. I was one of the first employees at Tab, so there was a, a rich history there, uh, and I was you know, pretty in touch with what was happening at LiquidNet. And so when I saw the kind of things that they were engaging in and um, felt that I could add a lot of value there, that was really the, that was the impetus for, for making the switch. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of played out uh, the way I hoped it would um, in that, you know, first it, it was, it's, I would say a, a, a benefit, an added bonus to that was the ability to focus on market structure uh, and get that content um, and advice out to the buy side without having to worry about 
you know, getting contracts signed or, you know, looking uh, for another, uh, you know, subscription to sign. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of like freed from some of the commercial pressures that come with being at a consulting company. So that was the journals. We wouldn't know anything about that. I mean, it's nice. It's (laughs) not exactly. It's nice to wake up and like, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's like, is the stock market open? Okay. There's, you know, revenue is going to be, you know, revenue is going to be made. So, you know, I was kind of freed from the, the, from the everyday uh, concerns about, about revenue. Then given, you know, my, uh, you know, given my, the amount of time I've spent on this industry, I was also, you know, immediately brought into, you know, strategic conversations around, you know, what the company should be investing in and so on and so forth. So, you know, I had this, um, I have this nice um, uh, client facing component where I'm, you know, I'm continuously engaged with, uh, with the industry and then leveraging that internally to, to help guide some strategic uh, decisions. So, I mean, I would say that the difference is that uh, at TAB, I was uh, much more uh, multi-asset class, right? I mean, I was, when I was global head of research, I was looking after what happened in the fixed income industry, looking at currencies. So for a while, I kind of missed um, having a broader purview over what was happening in the industry. Um, but, you know, I think it was, uh, it's been a good trade so far. What was the first, when you joined LiquidNet, what was the first oh shit moment? Like, oh man, I'm, I'm in over my head here. What was kind of those early kind of rough patches that you face? Any, any kind of funny story they have uh, that you could tell us about? I'm trying to edit it in my mind <laughs> as, you, as, you, uh, as you ask that. Um, I, you know, it was funny. That, so when I joined, it was uh, right as uh, Flash Boys uh, oh, you right. know, hit. Yeah. I mean, it was right, so literally within you know a couple of weeks of joining, we wound up having uh, you know this 150 uh, members joining after the market to talk about you know IEX and Flash Boys and and all of this. So um, that was that was pretty nerve wracking. You know, uh, so our CEO, uh, Seth was in the room and there's like 150 people and it's just like, well, actually first, the, the, my first concern was like, is anyone going to dial in? <laughs> right. You know, the, the, the person who heads up all of that, uh, uh, Richard Franco, he was like, oh, we got to do this. People really want to hear from you, Adam. I'm like, I just, is anyone going to dial in? And the CEO is there and, and, uh, you know, when you're on these conference calls, you can hear, you know, a beep every time someone, you know, every, every time someone joins. So as the beeps, you know, uh, increased in the it's like and Morse code. Yeah, it was like beep, 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 beep. And then, and then actually like Seth almost had this like ashen look on his face as he realized that more people were dialing in on my first call than had ever dialed in for him. So it went from being this like, you know, oh shit moment to being this oh yeah moment. Yeah, that's funny. And just when Flash Boys came out, just because now I'm just, it, it just because it just popped in my head. Has there ever been in the markets a book that had more of an impact? You can say it was. We won't get into whether or not who is right or wrong or whatever. Well, you know, yeah, exactly. Say, so. But it really did. It 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 infused itself into so many discussions across the capital markets. I'm not sure if Liars Poker. I read Liars Poker, but I wasn't in the industry when that right. came out. Can you ever think of a time when? And a book or something like that actually had that much of a push on the industry. 
You have to hold a conference call about it. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no. I mean, from a from the trading the trading perspective, no. I I don't certainly couldn't come up with another one. He did a damn good job of making this industry look interesting. So. <laughs> well, Adam, uh, we do appreciate you coming on. Um, we will link in uh, to your blog post um, just so people know a little bit of the background as to what we were talking about. Um, and yeah, um, thanks for giving us an update on Liquid and Thanks for coming in and talking about your thoughts on uh, the Members Exchange. Yeah, my pleasure for being here. Thanks. All right, see you all next week. Thank you.